Paul said, I press on forward to the future. I'm not looking back. I'm letting go of those things that are behind. I'm pressing on towards the goal that which, that which Christ has apprehended me for. I seek to apprehend as well. So, uh, you know, we just want to continue to encourage you this year, continue to edify you and strengthen you that uh, no matter what 2014 was like for you, no matter what it held in store, uh, we still have a great vision, a great purpose in front of us. Uh, God doesn't move by 365 days at a time. And uh, he's not, you know, held back because we didn't accomplish everything in 2014. And, and even if you did have a good year, sometimes those are the hardest ones to forget. Amen. You want to reflect on the good stuff. You want to look back on the the things that God has done. But that's only to uh, continue to move us into what he's going to do. Amen. And so we just want to continue to strengthen you with that. Go with me to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two. We're going to continue with our series today called treasures. Treasures. Matthew chapter two. It's Christmas season. If you've been down Norman Street at all recently, you know it's Christmas season. If you've been around the mall or Target, Best Buy, <laughs> it's Christmas season, man. We're in the hustle and the bustle, in the midst of the gift buying, the gift purchasing, emptying the wallets. I, I said, I think it was Wednesday night, I said, um, uh, does anyone realize it's Christmas yet? And uh, someone said, well, my wallet does. My wallet knows it's Christmas, amen? Uh, but we, it is Christmas time. But we want to take this month and look at a subject that really isn't looked at all that often in churches today. We do it, or we think we do it, every Sunday, every Wednesday. We come and, uh, you know, before I get up here and minister, uh, we've played a few songs by that point. Uh, we have ministered to the Lord. We have done praise and worship. Amen. It's a technicality. I mean, any church you go to, you pretty much know how it's going to start. You know that there is going to be at least two or three songs, if not more than that, uh, you know, where they're going to open up and then we're going to get into the ministry of the word. And and we, we feel like we've accomplished worship. We feel like we have done our task of worshiping God for the week, really. For some people, that's all the worship that they really ever get in is Sunday morning. Uh, you know, if you come on Wednesday night, you might, you know, enter into worship there. Uh, but worship that as the Bible shows it, as the Bible identifies it, is much different than just singing songs. Worship is much different than, uh, you know, playing an instrument or raising your hands or opening your mouth or uh, clapping. Uh, those are ways to worship. Those are uh, results of a worshipful attitude. But worship in and of itself has nothing to do with songs, has nothing to do with raising your hands, has nothing to do with a worship team. Worship in and of itself is a heart issue. Worship is a heart issue. And I want to throw up our main statement that we pulled out last week. We said this, we said, you cannot worship what you are not submitted to. You cannot worship what you are not submitted to. 
And although we sing the songs and although we play the instruments and we raise our hands and we come in here and we read the words off the screen and, and you know, we do that whole thing. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you entering in with that. Uh, but unless that is an overflow of your lifestyle, we, we still haven't quite fully grasped what worship is for us. But a worshipful life is not uh, uh, just an option. It's an obligation of a kingdom citizen. If you're in a kingdom, we saw last week that worship in a kingdom is the culture and the structure of how the kingdom operates. And again, we live in we live in a democracy. We live uh, in a nation where we don't practice a lot of kingdom mentalities, a lot of kingdom concepts. Uh, you know, we don't worship our president. Thank God we don't worship our president. We don't worship our Congress. We don't worship our governor. We don't worship our mayor. We don't worship our councilman. Right. We don't worship our policemen. We don't you know, bow down and worship them and bear gifts to them. And and, and really, a lot of what we do for those guys is out of. Uh, you know, because we have to. But in a kingdom, you worship a king. You worship a king. You don't just talk about how good he is. You worship a king. And, you know, we like to throw this statement out a lot. God created us to worship. Right. Ever heard that one? Well, God created us to worship. That's the whole reason why we're on the planet is because God created us to worship. We're supposed to be worshiping. We're just a bunch of worshipers. We're supposed to spend all day long just singing songs and praising him and glorifying him. And, hey, I don't have time for that. I got to go get in my prayer closet and turn on my my, uh, you know, CD player a real booming loud. And I just got to I just got to get away and worship. And there's some truth to that. God did create you to worship. But we've got to find out what biblical worship is. We're always having to renew our minds. Guys, there is nothing that we know everything about. There is nothing in the word that we fully understand. There is nothing in the word that even what we knew can't possibly be changed and renewed. That's why Paul said the renewing of your mind, renewing. There's action, there's progression. This thing is ongoing. This thing is continuing. It is a lifestyle of changing my thinking so I can change my living. And your life doesn't change until your thinking changes. And if we don't change how we think about worship, we won't change how we worship. But worship in the kingdom. Remember, this book is about a kingdom. This book is not about a religion. God didn't send Jesus to the earth as a religious figure. He sent him here as a king. God wasn't setting up a religion. Over in Genesis chapter 1, he didn't give man uh, full dominion and a religion. He gave him authority over the earth. He said, subdue the earth. You're in control. You're in charge. He's talking about kingdom concepts here. And in a kingdom, worship is only this, submission. And if we're not submitted, we're not worshiping. If you're singing songs to somebody that you are not submitted to, you're not worshiping him. You're just wasting your breath. You're just singing songs. If, if, we're, if we're raising our hands to someone that when we walk out the doors, we don't do what he's asked us to do, then we haven't worshipped him. And this is what we're looking at. And, and today I want to read all of Matthew chapter 2 uh, in this passage with the wise men. Last week we just started with verse 11, just kind of introducing where we're going with this. But I want to start with verse 1. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east 
came to Jerusalem. Wise men. Now, what 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 denoted that they were wise? It wasn't it just because these guys were super smart. These guys weren't like nerds from the east uh, that just knew a lot about just random stuff and say, hey, that's a wise guy right there. He he's so he's so full of wisdom. He's, he knows so much stuff. He's got so much knowledge. No, these wise men were of 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 high structure. In fact, some translations call them kings. You may have even heard songs, We Three Kings. And again, we don't know that there were three. We only assume there were three because there were three gifts given. But there could have been up to 12 of these guys. Three wise men. These are kings. These are people that know how to worship. These are people that know how you treat a king. And look what verse 2 says. Saying, Where is he who has been born? What is that next word? King of the Jews. I mean, have we ever stopped to ask ourselves what caused three men to travel as far as they did? Some some historians uh, collect that it could have taken them at least two years journey to get to Jesus by this time. By this time, Jesus isn't, you know, a, a newborn baby in a manger. I mean, they've come to his home at this time and he's two years old. He could be at least two years of age in this story. They've traveled two years to worship a child. Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? Why would you worship a baby what has that baby done for you and then we even pointed this out that these guys aren't even saved these guys aren't even born again they haven't accepted jesus into their heart but yet something on the inside compels them that i have to get there to worship him the king of the jews for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. Now, why would a king get troubled because three kings come to worship a baby? I mean, come on, I'm just asking some questions that, you know, maybe you haven't ever. We, we've just heard this story year after year after year. And we read Matthew chapter two and we, and we read Luke chapter two. And, and, you know, we just, you know, we watch, uh, you know, Peanuts and uh, Snoopy. And we hear the Christmas story every year on the cartoon. And we just we, we, we're not asking questions that could help us get somewhere. Why, why is Herod, the king, getting all messed up about this? And if you study King Herod, you, you find out that this guy was really messed up. This guy was insecure as all get out. He thought everyone was trying to take his throne. He had a mental issue. He killed his own family because he thought they were trying to push him out of the throne. So when he hears that there's another king born in his territory, why would a two-year-old baby threaten him? Because these wise men don't see a baby. These wise men are not coming to this baby because of what the baby has done for them. They're coming to the baby because of what they can do for him. Okay, so let's just keep going. The king heard this. He was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you should come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And when he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come worship him also. Well, we know he's not serious about this. We know that he's trying to trick them. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, here's our key verse for the series. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and Worshipped him. Worship is a position of submission. I, we, we made this statement last week. We said worship is, is not a presence. It is a position. Worship is not a presence. Worship is not, you know, the sound that we hear when all the instruments are in tune together. Worship is not the sound we hear when everyone's hitting the right key with their vocals. Worship is not, uh, uh, you know, having a powerful song and the words just really ministering. That's not worship. Worship produces those things. And see, when we get the right picture, it won't matter who's on the stage. You'll worship. It won't matter what song we're singing. The older people won't get upset because we're singing songs that that newer people like. And the younger people won't get upset because we're singing songs that the older people like. We'll worship God regardless. We don't care what instrument. We don't care how loud it is. Look, I mean, there's things that we can do to make things more aesthetically pleasing. I understand that. That's why we just raised $1,500 to help out the sound and to help out with the drums. We did that in 14 days, so apparently you guys think I'm way too loud. I pitch a, I pitch a project that says we're going to help the sound with the drums, and you guys say, hey, we're getting on that one. <laughs> what can I give? How much can I put in? I'll just take care of it, Pastor. I got this. My ears need some deliverance here. I got you. I hear you loud and clear. And there's things that we can do. Sure, we don't want to make things uncomfortable and just be obnoxious. But in this series, we're not going to talk about how we sing songs and and, and how we clap on time and and do all those things. We're going to talk about the heart. The heart. Because the last thing that we saw last week, I should have just put all these points back in there for you. The last thing we saw last week is that an act of worship does not override a heart of worship. An act of worship does not override a heart. Of worship. It doesn't replace having the right heart. And when we have the right heart, guys, worship goes to a whole other level. When you have the right heart, you'll worship them in your car. You'll worship them in the shower. You'll worship them on the job. Watch this. You'll worship him when it's good. 
and when it's bad. You'll worship him when everything's falling apart. You'll worship him when there's no end in sight. You'll worship him when you don't see any relief or deliverance. You will worship him because, God, you're the king and I'm submitted to you. No matter what's going on in my life, I still have a heart of worship. And therefore, I can do an act of worship. I can raise my hands. I can sing. I can shout. I can dance. I can laugh. I mean, you want to talk about a God that can worship, you look at King David. That's a God that could worship. But that was a God that was submitted to his king. He wasn't a worshiper because he knew how to play an instrument and sang songs and wrote the largest book in the Bible full of songs. He was a worshiper in his heart. And we get psalms as a result of what was in his heart. It wasn't the other way around. His heart didn't line up with all this. Well, I've written all these songs. So I might as well go ahead and get a heart of worship. No, it was the other way. I have a heart of worship. I got to get this out. I got to be submitted. And so we see these three men, three kings. That know what worship's all about. And they come and they bow down to a baby, not because of what he has done, but because of what he's going to do. I'm going to ask you today. Can you worship God because of what he's going to do? Can we worship God because of what we want to see him do? See, they had heard prophecies. They knew this is no just ordinary baby. This is not just a child. This baby is going to grow up and do something for me. And for that, I worship you. For that, I'm submitted to you because you are the king. You are the king of kings. Amen. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Today, I want to talk to you. I want to get into the acts of worship. Because, again, worship is not singing songs and. You know, having the right songs on the screen and knowing all the words and having a good singing voice. I mean, if it was that, there'd be a very slim few of us that could worship. I wouldn't be in that. I wouldn't be in that category. It's been a long time, but there were times where I could just get on the drums. I used to have them set up in my house, wait for my parents to go on errands or something, and I would just go to town. I've been playing drums since I was about four years old. Got my first drum set when I was 12. Until then, I played on couches, pots and pans, whatever. (laughs) You took away my sticks, I'll go get some coat hangers. I'll do whatever I got to do. It's just a, a natural talent that God gave me. And there were times where I could just get on the drums and just worship. But you don't want me to do a drum show solo today because you have your ears ringing out. You wouldn't know what was going on. But guys, worship is in our lifestyle. Worship is our culture. In fact, what we do in here ought to be an overflow of what's happening out there. But there are many ways to worship. And once we get the heart right, the actions will align themselves. But the thing I want to show you today is that worship always has something to give. Worship always has something to give. Worship will always bring something. 
Worship will always bring something. You notice these three wise men, they didn't just come to the house and worship. But they came bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these gifts were very valuable. These gifts had a high dollar amount. I told you last week that some historians have discovered that the sum total of these gifts in today's day and age would have totaled around $400 million for these three gifts. What is a baby going to do with that? $400 million. But again, these guys are kings. These guys are kings. And so they have something to give. They have something to bring. You know, we just sang that song, My Heart is Yours. My Heart is Yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. I freely give. Worship is giving. Worship is bringing. And so I want to talk about giving today. I want to talk about giving today. And giving in multiple capacities. Giving in multiple capacities. And yes, we will talk about giving money. I don't know how many churches you've been to or how long your church background is. But, you know, when I was growing up, we used to do uh, tithe and offering right after praise and worship in between the message. And a lot of times the pastor or whoever came up, they would make the statement, let's continue in our worship with tithe and offering. Let's continue in our worship by giving. Because, guys, what we give and how we give and when we give are all ways of worship. They're all ways of worship. Now, you know, there's this persona that when the pastor starts talking about money, there must be, there must be an issue. Who's not doing their part? You know, there must be, they must be struggling. Must be. I want to tell you right now, we just had our staff Christmas party. And when we do that, we always uh, look at numbers and we look at different things. We look at all the guests that we have. We look at all the water baptisms, those who were born again. We take a look at all those numbers from the year. And one of the numbers that I like to show them is because these are people that have connected with us on another level. These are people that have said, we are not here just to sit. We're not here uh, just to serve. But when we come here, we want to help lead. We want to help move the vision, progress the vision that God has given you as the senior pastor. We want to come alongside you. And so we give them certain things. And one of the numbers that we give them is the year-end total that we've brought in financially. And I want to tell you right now that as of two Sundays ago, before or when I made this report, we had already pretty much exceeded last year's entire giving. And we still have several services to go. We're on target this year to have the largest income this church has ever had, to bring in the most. So I just want to make this disclaimer. If this isn't, uh, this isn't for condemnation, this church knows how to give. When I, when I listen to other pastors and their percentages and their ratios and their numbers... You know, I, I just I just thank God for what we have, because we have a great percentage of people that tithe in this church. We have a great percentage of people that give financially in this church. I mean, any time we've thrown out a goal, you guys have met it every single time. 
We've thrown out goals of $500. We've even thrown out goals of $4,000. And you've met it in a very considerable amount of time. It hasn't taken us years to raise money. Everything you see done next door with all the children's has been done with cash in hand. Not one thing in this building is in debt. Not one thing we owe a dime on. We paid cash. And that's because of you. That's not because we just have this great reservoir sitting in the bank and whenever we want to do a project, we just do it. No, I pitch it to the body. I'll be honest with you. If I had the money sitting in the bank, I would still pitch it to you because you need to get on board with it. You need to have an opportunity to contribute financially and participate financially to what God is doing here. I will always raise awareness to what God is doing. And if he says, no, go ahead and drop it and do it, and then let the people contribute to that, fine. But if he says, no, don't get ahead of the people, do go, go right along with the people. When they meet the need, then we do it. We do it. I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say that. Of course, we're not at 100%. And so this message... Honestly, guys, this message is not for people uh, that aren't giving and they just need to hear another message. I want to be honest with you. If you don't give and contribute financially to the work that's being done here and to do what the Bible says with your tithe and your offering, another message isn't going to change that. If you look at the parable of the sower, no matter how much seed the sower throws on the ground, on the hard, rocky ground, on the thorny ground, It's not going to produce. And it's not the sower's fault and it's not the seed's fault. It's the ground's fault. It's having the right heart. So it's not another message that you need. It's it's a a, a heart adjustment that you need. So this is not a a pitch to those that aren't contributing. Look, if, if you're not contributing, just change your heart and just get on board and just give. It's very simple. If you are given to, then you're obligated to give. It's very simple. And it's a percentage. He doesn't ask for a certain dollar amount, so it's not like, oh, I can't do that. It's 10%. It's tithe. And you're not giving to the church. You're giving through the church to God. This is an opportunity for you to give to God. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to the church. I mean, even when you're meeting those different needs that we pitch... You're not just giving to a need. You're giving to God, and then God will take that and say, this is what we could do with it. Amen. I mean, you have a church to come to today with lights and air and, 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 and unlocked doors because people contribute and give and participate financially. And, and, and look, wait, this, this may be a supernatural thing. This may be a spiritual thing, but there are natural sides to it. There's natural sides to it. And if I can't pay the rent, the door doesn't come unlocked. If I can't pay the electric, the heating and the air doesn't come on, the lights don't come on. And we can still have church, sure. But you might not come to that church. I don't know. So I appreciate you for giving. I appreciate this body. I I can brag on this church. I can brag on this church. I mean, there's even other pastors in this town that I hear from that say, yeah, it's it's gone down. Last month, we had our second largest month of the year, and it's in the middle of Christmas season. So I just want to take a moment to brag on you. But we can't talk about worship without talking about giving. We can't talk about worshiping our king without talking about bringing something to him. And a worshipful church is a generous church. 
a worshipful church. So I want to take a look at some things that have to do with giving. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We should always be willing to invest where we have been invested in. We should always be willing to invest where we have been invested in. Where someone has put something in us, we should be willing to return the favor and put something back in. When you go to a restaurant, they have fed you, they have served you, they've filled your glass, right? And you invest, you pay for it. Some of you may take your children to daycares and you pay for that because they're taking time to invest in your child. And you know how it is. The, the, you, you give or you pay based upon the investment. If you feel that you receive bad service, you might not tip as well as you would someone that gave you great service. If you don't like the investment that's being placed in your child, then you're going to pull them out. You're not going to invest there anymore. You're going to go find somewhere else for the investment to take place. And so we should always be willing to invest where we have been invested in. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. This is another group of churches. It's another group of churches in Macedonia, and he's writing to the Corinthian church. In, in fact, one, in one sense, he's pitting them up against each other. He, he's competing them. These two churches uh, were, you know, I guess you could call it rival churches. They're all about the same business, but, you know, they would always try to hear what the other church is doing. And he's saying, look, there's contributions going out to the, to the church in Jerusalem and the church in Macedonia. Look at what they've done. In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Their liberality. He doesn't just talk about what they gave. He talks about their situation and how they still continue to give. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, freely willing, look at verse 4, imploring us, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, again, I don't know how extensive your church history or church background is. But I don't know. I've been in church for a long time. I don't know that I've ever, ever in my life, I'm... 31 and a half years old. In all those years, and I've been in church for 31 years and nine months. In all those years, I don't know that I have ever seen the church body ask the pastor to take up another offering. We need to give more. Pastor, we need to give more. And this is what's happening here. They were imploring with much 
urgency. Urgency. I know that I've asked for things with urgency. I know my son asks for things. I hate the aisles at the checkout lanes. I hate that place. I have now, if I go in with my wife and my son, I have now said, I will check out. You go to the car. Because I am not going to pick out five different things right here within this 10 feet, 10 square feet of space that he's going to want. A Ninja Turtle fan. The batteries died yesterday. I bought it yesterday morning. Gum. Candy. Toys. I hate that aisle. And my son, with much urgency, has asked me for things. Yesterday we got stuck. We were over at Hobby Lobby picking up a few things. And sure enough, man, we get to the aisle. And I had the plan in place. But they, they've, they've done it a little bit differently. They have this section that's at the back of the checkout lanes. Then you move forward and then you got more of that section. And he got stuck in the back of it. And that fan that I was just referring to, Ninja Turtles and helicopters and Supermans, and it's a lost cause. That is a lost cause. You just, you just pay the five bucks and go on, man. This probably already lost. I mean, the value there doesn't match the urgency you were asking me for this thing. With much urgency, we've asked, but... With much urgency have we ever given. With much urgency, they're imploring them. Would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped. Look at this next one. But they first gave themselves. Gave themselves. To the Lord. And then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Grace. That means it's not because you have to, it's because you get to. We'll talk about it. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment. But I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He said, I'm not telling this because you have to, but I'm testing your heart against what another church has done. Against what someone else has given. He just goes ahead and lets them know, look, here's where they're at, where are you at? He lets them know this is what they've given Are you going to be able to match that? Are you going to meet that? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage. Don't you love it when God does things that are to your advantage? Everything God does is for your best. Everything he commands is to better you, not to weaken you. See, again, when we talk about kings and the reason why kingdoms are not so popular in the earth today is because we get natural kings 
that end up wanting to serve themselves rather than the people. But we serve a God that wants to serve you. We serve a God that everything he thinks about, everything he, everything he does, everything he puts into place, everything he commands is for your best interest at heart. Not his. He wants you to prosper because in a kingdom, the citizens are a picture of the king. If the citizens aren't doing good, the king doesn't look good. But when the citizens are prospering, when the citizens have enough, when the citizens have homes and families that are being taken care of and water and food to eat, it is a reflection on the king of how well he takes care of his people. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. You started strong, but you didn't finish strong. But now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was readiness to desire it, so there also may may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Guys, we all have. We all have. Now, and when, when God talks about the tithe, when God talks about the 10%, you know, we, some of us are, are getting botched up there because... For some of us, that might seem like a lot. If you made $200 in the week, that $20 might seem like a lot to you. And if you made $10,000 in the week, that $1,000 might seem like a lot to you. But we're able to give the 10% because we acknowledge that God really owns the full hundred. He owns the other 92 He owns the other 90%. If we were to draw a chart, that 10% little chunk, I mean, you would really get to see what goes to him and what goes to you. But that whole other picture in the wheel, in the circle, belongs to God as well. And so we give God the 10% in acknowledgement that really it's all yours. It all belongs to you. And if you ask for... 20%, we'd give 20%. If you ask for 50%, we'd give 50%. But we know that his word is lined out that we give him the 10%. And honestly, guys, you don't give 10%. You can't give the tithe. That verse over in Malachi, we're getting ready to look at it. You knew we were going there. Don't act all surprised. Oh, no, it's Malachi chapter 3. You knew we were going there. That verse doesn't say... Give all the tithe into the storehouse. You know it by heart. It says bring the tithe into the storehouse. Why? Because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can't give what doesn't belong to you. That 10% was never yours. As soon as you got that paycheck, he cut it off and said, that's mine. It's in your hands to see, will you be obedient? Could he just demand it and say, that's mine. You, you don't even get to, to be a member of this church. You have to tithe. And, and that's, we don't tell you that. You don't have to tithe. 
You don't have to worship. But wouldn't it be awesome if we had people like what Second Corinthians chapter eight says that the worship pastor wouldn't have to tell you, all right, let's everyone raise our hands. Let's everyone sing this chorus with me. But you are already thinking. But we come in here and we have our arms folding. Boy, son, you don't know what I've been through this week. You don't know the long night I had last night. You don't know the week. You don't know what I went through just to get my kids here. You're going to tell me to raise my hands. You don't know. Why in the world is Pastor Caleb smiling so much? I'm tired of it. Just up there, just just holding his microphone and raising his hands and smiling at me and inviting me to church and welcoming me and telling me Pastor Marshall's going to preach. I don't want to hear about that. You're lucky I'm even standing here right now. You don't know what I went through. You don't know my week. No, he's asking you because he knows that in the power of worship and a heart that is submitted, that God can meet all your needs. But he shouldn't even have to ask. Shouldn't even have to ask. Because you've got a heart of worship. You won't walk back out that door without worshiping your king. You won't walk back out that door without applying the word that's been spoken to you today. You won't walk back out that door thinking, oh, I didn't give my time. I remember I had you know, someone early on in, in the beginning years, they, they, they asked me why we do tithe and offering at the end of service. And we've just always done that. They said, you know, that's... That's dangerous because you could miss some people. You know, some people might leave before they before you get all the way to the end. They might have to leave. I said if they want to give bad enough, they'll give. They will find an usher. I've had people drive up here in the middle of the week saying, "Man, I, I couldn't make it. I had to get my offering in. I had to get my tithe in." And now, you know, we make it accessible to you. You can give online. There are some churches that they've uh, in, in, employed. Uh, services now where you can have your tithe automatically deducted out of your check every every time you get paid. You know, I mean, that, that's just society. That's just society. I was watching a message just the other day where a pastor was talking about Wikipedia. Anybody use Wikipedia? You're not as smart as me then. That's all right. Get Get on the Wikipedia boat. I seem a lot smarter than I am, and if I don't know the answer, just pull it up on... I mean, it's the Internet, man. Everything's true on there, so... Anybody can put anything on Wikipedia so you know you're getting the best source possible. (laughs) All right. But the other day, you know, uh, I went on Wikipedia, and it had this little message at the top that was asking people to contribute. They don't do ads, and they don't raise funds or anything, but they said, you know, to keep doing this, to keep allowing this website to process, we ask that you contribute. And I still haven't done it. And I, I intended to do it. God knows my heart. I still haven't done it. My good intentions haven't helped Wikipedia keep their website up. And unless they're able to do it right there on the spot, you know, that's, that's the way some people treat God. 
If I may, if it's too difficult to do it, then if it's di- if it's the wrong time, if it's too early in the morning, if it's too far away, if, if it's hard to give, uh, if you don't accept this type of payment, I mean, you know, now a lot of churches are accepting credit card payments in service, and they have little kiosks you can go to and swipe your card, like you know, you're going to AT and T to pay your phone bill or something, and you know, obviously now we you can give online and do all these things, but guys, it all comes down to the heart, and when you want to give. You will do whatever it takes to give and you won't let it go by without having given because that's a heart of worship. Because a heart of worship always finds a way to give. Go over to Malachi chapter three. You go to Malachi chapter three. I am going to back up to Malachi chapter one because what God is addressing here in this last book. And this is the last book of the Old Testament. You've got to realize that between Malachi and Matthew, there are 400 years that God doesn't open his mouth. They're called the silent years. Until Jesus shows up. doesn't say a word. And the last thing he talks about is giving. The last thing he brings up is giving. It's giving. In Malachi chapter 1, he deals with this group and he says, look, your, your priests, they, they've been bringing sacrifices back in the Old Testament days. Uh, the, the sacrifice, the sacrificing was an act of worship. But just as we saw last week with King Saul, you can do an act of worship without a heart of worship. And, and, and what, did, what did Samuel tell Saul? He said, your obedience is better than sacrifice. If you would just obey, that would be the greatest worship you have to offer me. That would be the, why? Because worship is submission. Just obey. And the act of worship doesn't override the heart of worship. And so he's dealing with these with these priests that have been they've been sacrificing, but they've been giving the worst, the leftovers. They've been bringing animals that are blind, lame, can't even walk, missing legs, and keeping the good stuff for themselves. And so he's dealing with this issue. He says, "You've robbed me. You've robbed me." Over in Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. You have not worshipped me because you have not submitted to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? You don't want to ask God those kind of questions because he will answer. He will answer. He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You have robbed me because you have taken something that doesn't belong to you. Is the word he's speaking. And whether you're a tither or whether you're still working on tithing, guys, wherever you're at, this is a message we have to continually hear. 
because I'm not going to talk to you today about what you give. I'm going to talk to you today about how you give. Because worship is from the heart. It's not from the pocketbook. Worship is from the heart. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Not give. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I'm still waiting for that day. Still waiting for that day. That blessings get poured out so much that we can't even receive it. Blessings get poured out that we don't have room for it. What does that look like? What does that look like? Guys, worship is not having to do it. Worship is getting to do it. Worship, I mean, guys, there's, there's some of us, we've got the tithing thing down. Pat. No problem. The thing that we've always got to keep in check, the thing that we've always got to work on keeping aligned is the heart of how we're giving. Do we want to meet a need? Or are, are we, is it hard for us to let go? And guys, maybe for some of us, it's easy to let go. Because giving worship is an act of faith. Worship is an act that you do because you want to see God do something in your life. Not because of what he has done. Worship always brings something. And guys, it's a part of our nature to give. When we're made in his image, in his likeness. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he intended to give his son. For God so loved the world that he had a heart to give. For God so loved the world that he wanted to give, but no, it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You want to talk about some sacrifice. I mean, we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the church gave sacrificially in the midst of trial and affliction. When they were going through something, they still found a way to give and were urgently giving. God gave the one thing he only had one of. Think about it. He could have given us the moon. He could have given us the moons. He could have given us the stars. He could have given us mountains. He could have given us more oceans. But all those things he has multiple things of. But he says, I've only got one son, and that's what I'm going to give you because that shows my love for you. He only had one son. God. Powerful, almighty God only had one son, but he knew if I will give up one son, I will get back many sons. And Jesus said, if a, if a, if a grain of wheat doesn't fall into the ground and die, how can it? He knew I'm going to plant, I'm going to invest because God is an investor. God is not a spender. God is an investor. He puts something in because he knows something is coming back. And God isn't asking you to spend your tithe and your offering. He's asking you to invest in the kingdom and watch what he will do with that. 
We want to continue in our worship. Worship is not having to do it. It's getting to do it. In Malachi chapter 3, God asked for two things. God asked for two things. I know you're probably thinking tithe and offering, but that's not it. God is asking for two things. The first and the best. The first and the best. The tithe is not what you give after you've paid all your bills and find out if you have enough left over to tithe. It's not getting the paycheck. See, the problem is, guys, is, is we, we come up with ideas and what we need to do with the money before we even have it. You know when payday is, and you know what's coming around the corner that's got to be taken care of with that check. You've already got it lined out. This check is going to take care of the rent. It's going to take care of the car payment. It's going to take care of the electric. And then when I get paid again in two weeks, that's going to take care of the phone bill. It's going to take care of the groceries. It's going to take care of this. It's going to take care of that. We already have all that lined out. We're getting ready to enter into tax filing season, and you already know what you're going to do with the tax money that you think you're going to get back right now. You know the floors that are going down. You know the things that are getting paid off. You know the, the things that are going to get fixed in the house. You know what you're doing. You have already thought it up. Before you even do that, the 10% comes off. And it's income. If you make it, you give it. Very simple. Very simple. I want to make this simple today. If you earn it, you give the 10%. You give the percentage of it. It's that simple. And you give it with the right heart. The first. Secondly, he gets the best. He gets the best. And the best has to deal with the heart. The heart. You can't give the first with the wrong heart and give the best. You can't give last with the right heart because the right heart says, God, this is yours. I've already deducted this. I've already pulled it out. I have already set it aside. And, and, and we live in an economy that we live beyond 100 percent anyways. Because not only is our paycheck not enough, we have to use credit cards that go beyond that. And that, that's the society and that's the culture that we live in, guys, that we've already maxed ourselves out so much. I'm positioning my family, and we don't just give 10%. I want to, every year, I want to increase more. I want to give 12%. I want to give 15%. I want to give 20%. I know pastors right now that they give 50% of their check back into the church. Because their heart wants to give. They have a heart of worship. Some of us, we're not even being tested in giving the 10% anymore. We've got that down. But on the inside, we know that there needs to be an adjustment. We know on the inside that there needs to be a progression, a growth financially. God doesn't need your money. You've heard me say this before. Anytime we talk on this subject, God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. God knows my heart. He does know your heart. And he put a verse in there that helps you out with that. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. There is your heart also. Amen. Preaching better than you're shouting, but that's all right. 
When we honor God with the first, he covers the rest. See, God isn't a God that just wants to always clean up your messes. God is a God that wants to keep you out of messes. God is a God that wants to keep you out. His word isn't something that is reactive. His word is proactive. If we would put his, put his word into practice in our lives, we would never find ourselves in the mess. I mean, you know, the, the testimony from someone that says, I am a faithful tither, a faithful giver. There is Whatever a financial need comes up, I am looking to meet that need. I want to give to that need. And, be, and, 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 and my stuff doesn't break down. My stuff lasts. Uh, 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 things are just coming in. I mean, whatever needs to be taken care of. It's just, that testimony isn't as great as the one that says, man, I was in thousands of dollars of debt. And then I read this and I saw the truth and the revelation of the word. And I just started giving. And it was, you know, sacrificial. I, I really needed to be contributing to this. But man, God just opened up doors and we paid off the debt. The first testimony just doesn't sound that great. But this says right here, if you'll be a tither, if you'll be a giver, he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What does that mean? See, these guys were people that had farms and crops. And the devourer is literally translated bugs and insects that would come and eat up their crops. And he says... See if I will not rebuke the devourer. Take care of the stuff that is earning you money. Maybe you should have been laid off, but you didn't, and you didn't even know. They were having that conversation behind your back. Maybe something should have gone wrong with your washer and dryer, but it didn't. It just kept running. Maybe your gasoline should have run out sooner, but for some reason I got extra days out of my gas. That's a miracle in and of itself. Come on. If God keeps your refrigerator from breaking down and you having to buy a new $800 refrigerator, wouldn't that be the same thing as somebody giving you $800 to go buy a new refrigerator? Why are we putting God in a box? He says, if you'll be a tither, if you'll be a giver, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What's that mean? He's literally standing over your stuff watching it. Because if you will give the first, he will take care of the rest. Isn't that what he said in Matthew chapter 6? Seek me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. There's, there's a lot of us guys that we are operating in our own sufficiency instead of God's sufficiency. We've got to be people that give sacrificially. We've got to be people that look for ways to give. I heard this quote this past week. The pastor said, Greed always looks for an excuse. But generosity always finds a way. And, and, and I've noticed this in life, that the, stingy, the stingiest people I know are the neediest people I know. Those that have a hard time giving away are always the ones that need stuff. No matter what they hold on to, they always need more. Because greed is never satisfied. Greed is never satisfied. 
Greed is not satisfied by getting more. People that want more, they will always want more. And if they're stingy with helping someone out, they have marked themselves as a taker and not a giver. And the church of God is not marked by what it gets. It's marked by what it gives. If our God, the God we serve, could give the most valuable gift he had, why would we as the body of Christ not give stuff away? And I'm saying this, and part of this is just the way it lined up for me at the end of the year, because in 2015, uh, we told our staff this this past weekend, that we're getting ready to be the most generous this church has ever been. This city is about to know who Anchor Faith Church is in Valdosta, Georgia. This city is about to find out. And not because I'm going to put billboards everywhere and just go out proclaiming the name and going door to door. It's because we're going to start meeting needs. And when you start meeting needs, you put yourself on the map real quick. Jesus was one man, but people found him because he was giving himself away. He was a king that came to serve. He wasn't put on the map because of everyone that was worshiping and bowing down and saying, you need to worship me. You need to bow. Do you know who I am? I am the son of God. You need to get on your face right now. No, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He didn't say, come to my house and see all the good stuff I got. He said, how can I serve you? How can I help you? He was a servant. The church is not a bunch of takers. The church is a group of people that know how to come together and give to a cause. They see a need and they meet a need. And they're looking for needs. What can I meet? What can I do? i got to find a way to give because it's in my nature. It's in my culture. I'm a worshiper. And a true worshiper will find a way to give, not make an an excuse. We've got to find a way to give. We've got to find a way. People that don't tithe don't have a problem not tithing. They have a problem giving. It's a hard issue. Your, your finances are not the reason why you don't tithe. Your paycheck, I just don't make enough. If you made a dollar, there's a dime in the dollar that goes to God. It is not a financial issue. Well, I'm just too deep in debt. The Bible does not say unless you're in this much debt. We've got to be givers. We've got to be givers. The last quote that I have for you is, worship always finds a way instead of looking for excuses. Worship will always find a way instead of looking for excuses. When we pitch projects, no matter what's going on in your life, you will say, man, I've I got I to move some stuff around. Maybe we can deduce here. And, and look, this church in, in Corinth, they were sacrificing. And they weren't just sacrificing, uh, you know, Starbucks a few weekends a month. They weren't just sacrificing not going out to eat uh, maybe once with their family. They weren't sacrificing, uh, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, their trials wasn't, well, my retirement fund is down. My 401K is not doing as good. Uh, 
uh, I, my, my paycheck didn't look that great this year. Uh, I didn't get that raise. That wasn't their sacrifice. That wasn't their trial. And these people were people that were really coming under some heavy persecution. They had some major trials in their lives. And they found a way to urgently give into the kingdom. Urgently. Running Paul down saying, how can I give? How can I support? What can I do? It's what it means. It's what it means. You've got to be a giver. Hallelujah. Is this good? Guys, I'm not just talking about money tonight. This morning, not tonight. I'm not just talking about money. There's many ways we can give. There's many ways we can support. Guys, one thing that we need, I'm just going to be honest with you, come in 2015, our vision is so big, our vision is so huge, the vision is so bright. I need people that can serve. I need people that can put their hand to something. Guys, I want to break 100 people this next year. I want to get our attendance over 100 people. We've gotten close a few times. I want to break that this year, 2015. But you know what that means? That's more kids that are going to be coming. It's more babies that need to be held. It's more songs that need to be danced and played to. If we were running 100 people, we would most likely have to go to two services in this building. Would you be willing to work one service and attend the other every weekend for people? For people. You've got to count the cost. I've counted the cost. I need people to give their time. I need people to give of their skill. I need people to be here. Attend this church. Be here. We're all busy, guys. We've all got so much going on. And we offer levels where people can commit and be at. Y'all know that the last thing that we want is for people just to be working, working, working. That is not an environment anybody wants to be in. We're not here to burn people out. But the kingdom of God is work to invest in people's lives. And all I care about is people's lives. If y'all don't know that by now, you don't know me. I don't care about this building. I don't care about property. I don't care about land. I'd have church outside if I knew people would be comfortable with that. I've been to Nicaragua and and we've done it. And it's awesome. You get the right breezes coming through, man. I've sat there with people in another culture that have to listen to the message twice because I'm speaking and then an interpreter is speaking. No AC. It's 95 degrees outside. They're sitting on lawn chairs, taking notes in their lap with the Bible that was just given them. Well, listen to me talk for two hours. Don't care. Hey, I, I just want to give you my heart for a moment. Because we want to raise up a church of worshipers. 
We want to raise up a church that loves people. But it takes work. And, and, and we can't do it by ourselves. My wife and I can't do it by ourselves. Our leadership teams can't do it by themselves. There's ways to give into the kingdom. There's ways to accomplish the vision. It takes every one of us. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor Earl is, the vision is bigger than all of us, but it takes each one of us. Ephesians chapter 4 does not talk about pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists that go out and do the work. It's the five-fold ministry training up the body of Christ. Body of Christ. Many individual members doing their share that causes the growth of the body. I just want you to get excited. I mean, that, that should excite you. To see other people's lives change just like yours have. Has your life been changed as a result of being? Has your life uh, been different as a, a result of hearing the word and applying the principles of the word? And do you want to see that same change? You know people in your family that are broken, dying. They, they need help. They need uh, Jesus. You know people at your jobs. You know the, 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 the people, the sad faces you see day to day. And we have hope. We have the answer. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, this year we're going to be the most generous we ever have been. And that's going to require people to give to causes. But it also may require you to come out on a Saturday morning. And sacrifice maybe cartoons with the kids or whatever you do on a Saturday morning. And come out and serve with us. It may mean construction. It may mean painting. It may be feeding people. I don't know. We're going to find a way to be a generous church this year. And it's going to require you to meet the need. A sign-up sheet goes out. We ought to fill the thing up in one service. The, tithe, the, the, the offering call says we're raising finance for this ministry. We should meet it in one service, guys. That's the church. That's the church. We are the church. We don't go to church. We don't do church. We don't play church. We are the church. And I believe in what this ministry is doing. I believe in what this church is doing. I believe in what God has called us here to do. And, and I'm just asking you to see the vision with me. Last week we had five families in attendance. With our Elevate class, supportive ministries, coming on board, getting hooked up. And we're excited to get them implemented and get to work. Put our hand to something. We've got to be givers. Father, I thank you. This morning that we see, we see clearly that you are raising up a church of givers, not a church of takers. And, and, and we all have needs. We all have areas that we could sit down and say, God, I need this and God, I need that. And God, bless me with this. Bless me with that. But your word says, give and it shall be given unto you. The world says keep. You say give. The world says take. You say let go of. And Father, I thank you for this church and their heart to give. I thank you for this church and their heart to see a need and meet a need. And Father, I thank you that you increase us in that this next year. We continue to manifest 
the kingdom of God by being givers. It's impossible to be a kingdom citizen and not be a giver. It may mean giving a word of encouragement when you're feeling down and you, you need a word of encouragement. It may mean uh, giving of your time when you're stacked, you're full. There, there, there's, I don't have a block of time, but I'm going to make a way. I'm going to cut it out. It may mean giving financially when you know there's 15 things sitting at home that need to be paid for. But Father, I thank you that you place in us a heart to give. And we know that you will honor your word because you promised. You promised the harvest would come in. The harvest would come in. We wouldn't even have room to receive it. We're not trying to get rich. We're trying to make other people rich. We're trying to make other ministries rich. We're trying to make this city rich with the kingdom of God. And we know that when we place ourselves in a position of giving, you are the greatest giver. We give because you first gave to us. So we honor you today. We thank you for this word. Move us. Correct our heart. Correct our minds where any adjustment needs to be made. I thank you that we will apply this. Live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen.